Good morning, everyone. This is Dan with Spiritual Underground Podcast. Doing my little intro deal this morning on a Sunday morning. Um, DTMWW.net. My little handyman woodworking business. I'm sitting out in the shop right now. been spending uh, quite a bit of time out here. Uh, tooling up, making things that make my job easier out here. Uh, building fixtures and things like that. And also, uh, at the same time, completing some work and... Uh, Having a great time out here. No place I'd rather be. Well, there's I got two places I'd ra- I'd I, two places that are no place I'd rather be. Uh, down at Fargo, or in this wood shop. And I'm fortunate today that I get to spend most of my time at either one of those places if I choose to do so. If you're just tuning into this podcast, it's a primarily 12-based recovery podcast. Uh, we do explore other avenues of recovery. Uh, I'm just interested in ways that people have uh, grown closer and closer towards finding their true selves and maybe even realizing that uh, completely. It made me think of a Jordan Peterson quote that says, We really don't know what would happen if we brought ourselves completely into alignment. Um, I feel like that's at least the, where my compass heading is pointed and and I'm drawn to go that way uh waiting on my guest here coming in early on a Sunday morning is a beautiful morning it really could not be better uh it's interesting this whole spring has been beautiful everything has bloomed out like maximum around me anyway Uh, all the flowers everything is growing Uh, it's just been a great spring under the madness of a virus that is uh taken hold and then over the past few days uh, I really don't even know I'm really struggling with labels but some civil uh, strife and rioting peaceful protests here in Louisville and I guess all over the country uh, concerning the uh, unfair treatment of a certain segment of our population uh, I want to be real careful in my language there because I don't, <laughs> I get it, but I don't really get it. I am not capable of fully getting it. Uh, first time I was ever like really pinned against the wall with this white privilege thing was during a mankind project exercise. And, uh, all it was meant to do was stretch us and, and, and look at, you know, where, where we are as individuals where are you and uh and that's something i would kind of want to re- that, that that concept is something i kind of want to reject uh don't know why that is i guess we all just want to reject any kind of like uh criticism anything that might uh put us in a bad light you know i don't want to look bad right But I do know, and I've said it here before, you know, just being a, you know, I was born into a sweet spot, have a lot going for me, and it's only because of where I was born. I had no choice in the matter there. Uh, I landed in a home that provided me a lot of privilege. Uh, I took advantage of some of it. Hell, I guess I took advantage of all of it because it allowed me to do that little dance with the devil on the drugs and alcohol for a long time, too, and not get in trouble for it, really. Till the end. 
I know that uh, I, I received some advantages from being, and pardon me here, but uh, I'll just say it because I believe this is the truth. And 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 I and you know my my wish to be humble, I'm gonna set aside for a minute. Being a tall, fit, white man who is decent looking with a really good smile buys me a lot and it has nothing to do with my character nothing it's just my just the visual presentation opens doors for me that uh that 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 are not open for some others uh, i would have no idea what to do about that i'm certainly not going to feel any shame for taking advantage of it uh, be like a pretty girl making herself ugly. Pretty girls have an advantage in places. I don't know what to think about it all. I do know that my uh, inner being has been struck the last few days, and and uh, I feel something, some uh, a whole lot of uneasiness in my core. I'm not involved at all, but I probably took a little too much of it into my diet the last few days. Uh, I usually stay clear of most things like that pretty well. Um, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think I need to see it. Uh, sometimes I need to see some shit that makes me uncomfortable or experience some stuff that makes me uncomfortable in order to grow. And I can only assume that is what's happening here. Big pauses, because I frankly don't know what to do to fill this airtime. Uh, I'm just gonna probably sign off here. My guest will be here in a few minutes. I've been excited about having him on. Um, I'll tell more while he's in here about uh, how I met this gentleman and and some of the things he's doing. And we'll get to that in here in a few minutes. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for allowing me to participate in life today. Peace out. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome again. This is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you from my little wood shop in my backyard, DTM Enterprises. Uh, guest has arrived. Uh, we had a little chit-chat. I always be a little careful that uh, I don't talk too much i can end up you know i lose a lot of good content before and after the podcast um uh, I, I say a prayer and i just did it to that, that higher power god whatever you want to call it will help us to do this and say what's said and then i have to trust that what we say is what we were supposed to say i have to trust that that's that that happened uh now and again somebody will say oh i forgot and i'm like you know, we said that prayer about, uh, you know, they forgot to say, mention something, you know. And I'm like, we said that prayer to ask us to help us say what needed to be said. I'm going to trust that that did. And, you know, you're welcome to come back for another episode. I don't, I don't have a one and done here. Uh, but I, 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 I do that. And uh, so I figure that stuff that happens before and after didn't mean to be on there either. So uh, I always like to tell a little story about how I met my guest. Sometimes, like last time around, uh, the gal I met, uh, I had a guest in my last week's guest, that, the podcast that came out this morning. Uh, I met her in the driveway. She she reached out on a call once in a while, put on Facebook, you know, looking for guests. 
you know, trying to increase my perimeter, get somebody I don't know once in a while. And uh, that, so I've met a number of people in the driveway as they were coming up, and I, I didn't know what they looked like. Maybe I might have sneaked in and looked at a Facebook profile or something like that. And, uh, and, and I also trust there that when I put that call out that, uh, that, that I can trust who the universe sends me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I met Henry here, uh, I, and I'm relatively sure because his face looks familiar to me from before. I'm really good with names and faces, but, so I might, we might have bumped into each other at some point over the years or whatever but uh was as i walked into my mankind new warrior training weekend you, you were the doorkeeper and, and i won't i don't want to go into that too much uh, but i did know that when i walked up uh i have a thing today where i when i when i run into people i see in their eyes and i see an energy that is attractive to me or whatever there's something there that i like uh, I don't know what that, you know, for the longest time I had a little issue with that. Like if it was a man, I had a little issue that I would want to like suppress that. Like yeah. that wasn't okay, you know. And uh, I'm, uh, I don't do that so much anymore. And uh, and I just I just knew that I was in the presence, it felt like uh, in the presence of a safe, solid dude. That's the thing that I feel sometimes. And that's the only word, the word that I can best use is that I feel like somebody that has some solid energy, you know, that I, that, that I can... I can feel safe around, and instantly upon looking into your eyes, uh, I felt that way that day, and that was, uh, we were just talking before the podcast that uh, this past retreat weekend was maybe one of the most, well, it certainly was maybe one of the most powerful weekends I've ever been a part of, and certainly that new warrior training weekend, that initiation weekend into in mankind was, uh, would, would be right there with it, because a lot of what we did at the retreat mimicked some of what we, what, what I learned at, what I've learned in mankind. And uh, and I just love when I get to be a part of something that impacts my soul. Uh, it's just uh, who to thunk it, right? How you doing this morning, man? Good. It was Good. cool meeting you that day, and uh, yeah, that was a awesome was, weekend. Uh, <clears throat> I, I felt the same about you. Um, uh, not so much uh, in the in the first moment that we made eye contact but certainly you know throughout the the weekend i was watching you and uh i saw the same kind of energy and uh this uh, uh you know i don't know if if you know this you have a light around you hmm and um when we were particularly at at, at the homecoming after i saw it even even brighter and well, thank uh, you uh, I saw I saw it this morning when you greeted me at the door. Oh, that's so there's there's a light you. that just surrounds you. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that blessing. Yeah. Um, it's an odd thing. It's hard to receive, right? Yeah. It's uh you know, I'm I want to reject things of that nature. You know, like that. Uh, I saw something the other day. It said something about uh I have a problem taking compliments. And the thing said, "Well, don't take them; just borrow them, yeah. and give them to somebody else later on." Yeah, you don't have to take them. It's 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 uh, we do that. We, we're programmed when someone says, "Hey, you know, you have a nice shirt." I'll say, "Oh, this, you know, this whole thing." Like, yeah, right. Or like when my wife says, "I love you," um, most of the time I'll say, "I love you too." Uh, I don't say very often, "Thank you for loving me." Yeah, that is you a great know? point. Yeah, we minimize uh, uh, our significance, you know, in our in our uh, relationships, and 
in our life and you know, in the in the universe. And we're all significant. You know, we all have uh, importance, and we all matter. Yeah. You know, that's our uh, that's our God given. You know, that's our God given right. That's our human right. I think some of uh, our growth and our finding our true selves is coming to realize that we do. Yeah. You know, to, to that, you know, whatever self, some people call it self-esteem, some the self-value, valuing myself, taking, being able to take care of myself uh, is something that I've come, you know, it's a, certainly a gift that I've been able to receive because I, I didn't know how to do that uh, before the last few years. So among some other things, uh, Henry's in recovery. Yes. Uh, Henry's also uh, in mankind. Yes. Uh, I know those two things. He is also an author. Yes. I have the book here in my hand, and we will plug it just a little. This Maximize 10 Approaches for Getting the Most from Your Life. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is support the people that are my friends. And so when I saw you posting about it, uh, rather than just go through the motions, uh, I actually bought it and read it. And work the sheets in the back of it. You know, I didn't actually write them in here because there's yeah. something about. I'll write in my big book, but a lot of I still struggle to like writing some books, so I'll do it in a notebook over to the side. Yeah, uh, I really liked it. It's been a little while though, and we talked about getting you on here back then. But yeah. uh, things again, I think things happen for a reason when they happen, so I don't question that too much. Yeah. And I never push people to come in. You yeah. know, if you're not like a willing participant, uh, I might nudge a little. I might knock on the door a couple times. But, uh, yeah, so the, the book is great, too, and uh, apparently it's doing well, too. Yeah, I actually changed uh, the subtitle on that since, uh, oh, did since you? you bought that. Yeah, I changed it to um, now it's Maximize Seven Mind Shifts to Help You Maximize Key Areas of Your Life. Cool. Well, maybe I'll just have to pick up the new one, Yeah, too. yeah. Is it the same content, or is it It's all the same content. I just changed the subtitle just yeah. to make it a little more, uh, yeah, a little more attractive yeah. on the Internet. Yeah. Hit some of those keywords and Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, that's funny thing. Somebody some people are giving me some advice about like how to promote my stuff. I don't really like the word promotion, but that is what it is. Uh promote the couple uh, the couple efforts I have going on and talking about using hashtags and keywords and different right. things to get get a little more exposure and that's yeah. what it's about today, so I figure I need to learn a little bit more about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you grow up around here? I grew up uh, back and forth between um, Shepherdsville and Louisville. That's pretty much the same. Not too much different. I mean, there's a difference. Yeah. Regionally. Yeah. Yeah, they're maybe, you know, 30 minutes apart. But it seemed like every year I was going back and forth growing up. What was that about? Uh, You know, uh, addiction, uh, domestic violence, violence. uh, my parents' toxic relationship, and then it, you know, it, it ultimately it severed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we moved. Uh, the first move I was um, maybe f- about six, and we moved from from Louisville to to, to Bullock County, and um, you know, really to to get away from from my dad. Um, I couldn't understand at the time. You know, that's what what the intention was around my my mom's decision. So we lived out there and. We lived out there for maybe six or seven years, and then we moved. Uh, we moved to Louisville, and then just so many moving pieces and uh, instability. You know, yeah, growing up, uh, unsettling. Yeah, my dad struggles with uh, mental illness, and he struggles with uh, you know alcoholism. 
and uh he got cleaned up for a bit and um as he as we moved to louisville and he got cleaned up he moved out back out to bullet county he's you know he's from louisville um um and at that point my mother became very uh unstable and uh so i was living with my dad for a few years and then uh you know, my mom made some choices, uh, healthy choices, and she was getting better. It was really weird. It was like as my mom was doing good, my dad was like literally in the gutter, you know, homeless. And then as, you know, as my mom's inability to, to handle her own stuff, and as, as she sort of declined, you know, my father would, would sort of hold it together just long enough for my mom to get her shit back together again. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I just now put that together so it was really about as you know stable that it could be you know um which is really uh uh those basic needs were met you know maslow's hierarchy of needs you know those basic needs were met you know always had a place to to live it may not have been the cleanest place it may not have been like the, the safest place but i've always had a place to live always had uh, food may not have been the best food, you know. Yeah, uh, may not have been within the expiration date, um, but there's always food there. Um, and I learned a lot in that. Uh, it was really, really difficult, really challenging um, childhood. Were you the only kid, or do you have siblings? I have a sister. Um, she's four years older than me. She also identifies as uh, being lesbian. And that goes far back as, you know, I can remember. She was really, like, connected with, with that part of herself, her hmm. sexuality. And uh, and um, so we were poor. And my mother uh, dated uh, a black guy for many years. I still stay in contact with him. He's, other than him, uh, um, let's see, I'm I want to be honest and authentic, but also know that once this goes out, like, you know, people that support me might listen to it. And yep. I don't want to totally uh, get it, man. I'm glad that you give that some thought. Cause I always worry about people. Uh, there's been a couple of times that I had a big scare yeah. once. Where yeah. A guy he's uh, he, I'll just say that uh, he's always been really good to me. You know, he's always uh, checked in with me and uh, he, he was always a strong presence um, as a child. I'll say that. Um, so we lived out in Bullitt County and you know uh i was uh according to to my clothing i was husky <laughs> talk about body shame for for guys right yeah right we were poor my sister uh you know is a lesbian and my mother's you know um, in this relationship with this black man that's living with us so early on you know talk about like not fitting in like talk about like the bullying and the rejection and I had a friend one time really close friend we played you know youth sports together and everything you know I'm probably eight nine ten eleven years old and he stays all night with me often he would stay on the weekends well we were trying to plan on him coming to stay one weekend and he couldn't, and his parents wouldn't let him. And I didn't know why. 
And then some time went by, you know, maybe a couple of weeks or so, and it hit me. He couldn't stay here because there was a black man living in my house. Mm. And it really, man, it really made me mad. Yeah, it really made me mad. And I, uh, looking back, as painful as it was, I mean, that is just really good life experience to be exposed. And all of my privilege early on to really be exposed to a sense of diversity when there really it wasn't any diversity anywhere outside of my house, you know. Um, but as a young boy, I, you know, I couldn't make sense of that, right? Like, I think a, a child um, wants to make meaning and wants to find truth. And um, the, the brain um, um, is... is very concrete it doesn't really think very abstract until we're about 11 or 12 years old that's why young children can't comprehend what death means right um or even now like my daughter if i had a ball and like i put the ball behind the couch like she thinks the ball is am i good here okay why are you walking towards me i'm sorry i should do yeah it's all good so like, so, you know, an example, like, like gone. yeah, the ball's gone, right? Like, when mom gets up and goes to the other room to my daughter, like, you know, my, my wife's gone, you know? And so I was looking for meaning, and about the only meaning I can come up with was, you know, this is this is my fault. Like, I, you know, I've got a role in this. Like, mm. Take on some of it. I'll take the blame. I can't blame mom, you know, at, the, at this age. I can't blame you know, my absentee father at this age, mm. I can't blame my sister, right? Because why would they put me in a position to subject me to some kind of harm, you know? And um, so I think early on I really struggled with um, uh, my whole, you know, that's really where my whole negative belief system just started to, to take off and, people pleasing very early on Mm. um you know doing things um um, not because it felt right you know but doing things so that i would be accepted and uh so really like you know by the time that i got into high school i was this um um chameleon right right yep that uh, I could be whoever I needed to be to get my, my most basic needs met, you know, which is like on a positive side is like a really good strength, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it serves me well today when I'm conscious of it, right? That, um, uh, you know, just two nights ago, um, I was downtown protesting, right? Um, um, for for justice and for equity and equality and um, so that that part of me when I'm conscious of it it is a very good strength I mean it's one of the reasons that I'm able to build such meaningful relationship with with all all of my clients and people that I meet in recovery right you know but early on it was really about survival for me I didn't consciously know any of this but I developed that way of, of, of cultivating a sense of intimacy, which was really a delusion, to avoid facing uh, rejection. Right, yep. 
I get that. I can relate I, to all that. Yeah, I think um, the biggest fear um, is fear of rejection, fear of abandonment. And um, I think people use those loosely, but it is like ingrained. I mean, it affects our brain functioning you know in a sense we are really powerless to it like right. what it does to uh, to the mind and yeah. the brain it will take actions that are completely contrary to our soul yeah in order to dodge rejection you know we, we always like to preface that or you know throw that into that that i do better today yeah. <laughs> but i can look back and see where i said yes to things that were completely I knew. I always say that uh, there were some times, a lot of times in my life, where inside of me I knew I probably shouldn't do this. Yeah. You know, there was something in there, but it didn't matter. That 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 fear of rejection and that to be a part of uh, overrode any yeah. any any of my yeah more common sense. Maybe I don't know yeah. if that's well. I didn't have the basic uh, emotional uh, um, literacy. Right to be able to ask for what I need and mm-hmm. to be vulnerable and to talk about my feelings, and some of that is just the the conditioning for me as a as a man. Um, you know, some of that is um, you know uh, my childhood and family dynamics and the community that I was raised in and playing sports and um, Yeah, there was something else that I was going to say uh, as, as you were talking. Um, oh, yeah. And so I think, like, the uh, my addiction to drugs and alcohol, um, you know, as I really look back, um, much more open-minded, much more open-minded, you know, t- um, today, is in a way I was just replaying that whole cycle of rejection and abandonment with a substance, you know. And it was like the substance, the relationship, the intimacy was so strong that it, there's no way it's going to leave me. Right. It's, it's an object. And so I was always finding myself leaving it and going back to it and leaving it and going back to it and being upset that it wouldn't leave. Mm. Right. And so I really think, um, one, one of the, you know, when people get sober, when I got sober, I was angry. I was, you didn't say I couldn't cuss. No, we can cuss. Okay, great. Yeah, great. no, this is a full open. Good. It's rare that I have somebody in here that doesn't. Cool. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, being on the news and the radio and a bunch of other podcasts, I just want to make sure that, like, you know, that I'm appropriate yeah. and, like, not yeah. good. Okay. You could have said when I walked in the front door. I was pissed off. Like, I was mad at myself. I was mad at the world. I was mad at God. Mm-hmm. I was just angry. I was a 24-year-old, just angry and confused. Anger is the, the first stage of grief. And um, we don't grieve something we don't have a relationship with. And so for me, and I think others, when they show up to treatment or they show up in the rooms or they show up wherever they go to get sober, I think that anger is warranted. I think that anger is um, is uh, that first stage of grieving the loss of that relationship. Yeah, it's a, it's a requirement, really. Yeah. You had to move yeah. through that. Now, we can't stay angry. Right. 
right? Because like like some of the, the the literature says, you know, we're quite sure to drink, right? Yeah. And it's poison. And I know that today. Um, but like I said before, you know, the, the meeting before the meeting, right? That I was I was angry my the whole first year, bitter and angry, and this isn't going to work. And why am I even doing this? And I'm going to you know, a meeting every day, sometimes um, two or three a day. I think my first year, I think there were only three days out of the year that I didn't make a meeting to. In the, in the you know, in that ice storm of uh, 2009, like January, February, I was just a couple months sober then. I was still going to meetings in an ice storm, right? And I was still angry and um i don't know something really clicked right after i celebrated a year what i what i you know what i really know is i was still holding on to some stuff you know i mentioned it in my my book you know i can't be pissed off and grateful at the same time i can't hold both of those thoughts you know i can't hold uh, anger and in my heart and gratitude in my heart right yeah and so I had some things, um, some I had some relationships that I had to let go of. I had some old ways of thinking that I had to let go of. Yeah. And um, you know I did the work. I didn't um, I didn't use any drugs or alcohol. And uh, uh, don't leave before the miracle happens. And and I didn't. And I mean it was almost like on that three hundred and sixty sixth day. Like the day after I got that one-year token um, at the home group that I had at the time, it was like something just sort of melted. There was just something just in, in on my heart and in my mind. It just melted away. Hmm. And, um, you know, I would have liked to say that since then that I didn't really have to do any work, but I think I, some stuff moved out of the way so that I could do some more work. And even today, 12 years sober, doing my work working with a sponsor right now you know I, I i meet with my therapist once every two or three months and i do men's work and and I, i'm at a place now where i can really do the deep trauma work that i experienced as a young child and you know it, some of the stuff certainly has been on my fifth steps and four steps throughout the years but the healing, it's just like all the work that I did prior to this moment got me prepared to be able to go within, to do the work that needs to happen within myself, to find that deep healing that couldn't have happened before this moment. And I'm so just so grateful for that. And um it's a yeah. typical thing you hear, you know, this and, you know, and I think we, like, maybe take some, maybe take some shame or take, you know, we take on some stuff about the fact that we're, like, unable to, like, deal with something at a particular moment yeah. in our lives, you know? Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, personally, and because I have a lot of good people around me that help me see things that I would otherwise not be able to see, I think about how fortunate I am to have so many great people in my mm -hmm. perimeter that, uh, that that helped me grow and we're all on a similar path that uh show me that i maybe i'm just not ready to look at that right now 
you know, and, and to not sweat it too much, you know, and, and just continue to, to, to be open to yeah. it when it when it comes. And, and I feel you on that, you know, because there's some things that I certainly wasn't able to look at my first time through the steps. That the second time I was able to look into a little deeper, you know, and then there's some things there's a there's a particular thing that continues to. Uh, I don't want to say haunt, but there's something I'm having trouble growing past and uh, and I keep getting opportunities to deal with it mm-hmm. some more in a deeper in a deeper way and it seems like every time i go into some kind of like uh, every time i walk in the door of some uh, uncomfortable growth situation where i have this opportunity to do something like a mankind weekend or or like yoga teacher training and and other things uh that will bubble back up and i'll get to like shave a little more off of it yeah and then you know, and, and and then the universe also has allowed me some opportunities to uh, to uh, meet with the individual involved, and sit down and have lunch, which shaved some more yeah. off of it, you know. And I had to, you, and those things are frightening. They just are. I don't yeah. really want. There's something in me that doesn't really want to work on it, uh, but I keep on. Being open and, and 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 allowing it to happen, I almost had to coach myself. Like, okay, I hit you, uh, push it down, push it. No, let it up. Just yeah. let it go of it and let it do what it's going to do. Yeah. And, and, and and walk with it. Yeah. So that's a. I don't know. That's a. At some level, it's like. A, been in, like I go in rabbit holes. Yeah. In places. And I've been, you know, before our retreat, I went into a big Joseph Campbell hero's journey rabbit yeah. hole, and uh, and I like that. I mean, I don't fight it out. When I say rabbit hole, it's the only term I can use. But I like I will absorb everything I can about it yeah. in, in it for a little while. And uh, that whole that whole cycle we do of getting to know ourselves better, hitting a hurdle, working through that, coming back around, and whether if it's a new hurdle or maybe new portions of an old one or an old one or whatever and it's just like okay that is just part that's that's like a fundamental life thing mm-hmm. and you can either run from that you can either run from it or you can walk into it you know and and your journey's going to be a lot different according to which one of those two you yeah. choose to do yeah and I just, you know, um, whatever I'm, I'm, I'm faced with, whatever I'm, I'm, you know, wanting to grow through. Uh, I just have the hope and the, the possibility that I'm doing this to be a better man. Yep. And uh, I, I'm a better man because of that. Right. Yeah. Yep. Be a better version of myself day by day. Yeah. Whatever that is, and yeah. I'm not sure. Right, I had to be open to whatever that outcome yeah. is, and 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 don't put up too much about what I think that should look like. Yeah. Uh, people ask me what a lot of people will see that because that's what the first thing I saw in when I ran into some people that were involved in mankind. I didn't know what it was, had no idea. It's just something I saw, kind of like that glow you were saying. Yeah. I saw something that was different about this guy that that guy didn't have, you know, and and I started paying attention to that, and I finally asked. You know what's up and they told me about this and it was uh and i frankly wasn't ready there's other things going on in my life and and as interested as i was i wasn't ready yet 
and I knew it. Uh, say what was happening is I kept on looking over at the door, and it was only cracked. It wasn't open. Mm-hmm. And then when last fall, I went to one of them open circles and sat around, and I looked over my shoulder at the door, and it was open. I said, okay, cool. And people now will ask me, well, what is it? <laughs> and uh, my best answer is, is men helping other men become better men. Yep. Uh, and leave it at that. Uh, you should experience it if yeah. you choose to do so. Yeah, it's, it's really powerful. It's uh, It complements my recovery really well. And it's created so much of how I want my life to be in every part of my life. You know, from uh, what I'm passionate about and my true self and my own healing and being empathic and supporting others and speaking my truth and setting boundaries. So it really, it it interweaves with my history and recovery uh, just really well. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Really well. Definitely made me a better man already. Yeah. And I saw some real quick fruits of that too and, and and one of my ways that i felt an immediate impact was in my sponsorship i felt an immediate impact uh in my ability to uh communicate and and uh and listen and be way more effective in that in that and i know that it was it's it's because of my mankind experiences helped me see some things that I couldn't see about myself Uh, I'm pretty open to whatever you want to talk about I do have like a couple things like I was just curious about what I'm assuming that you became a counselor after getting sober yeah yeah so um my uh my mother uh, graduated from high school, and I don't think my father did. My father uh, had a choice when he was about 17, go to jail or go to the military. And this was during uh, Vietnam. And, uh, you know, growing up in the West End, um, in uh, what was Cotter Homes, uh, then uh, he decided to go to the military. So he didn't go to Vietnam. He went to Germany. And uh, I won't really get into much of his experience there. Um, but one of the things that was always important was that education is important. And um, I always liked school. It was a safe place for me. Hmm. And for the most part, I made good grades. Uh, even, um, you know, I was a sophomore and I was a full-blown addict, you know. Yeah, still still, uh, still made, you know, good grades. And, yeah, I was um, getting high on the way to school and getting high at lunchtime and still was somehow or another able to pull off and, good grades. And drinking and pills and acid and all of that stuff yeah. in, in school and so, like, when I was in high school, I didn't really cut school too much. 
um, I never really left school early too much. It's like, because whatever I would cut and leave school for, I'll just have, you know, I'll just have it with me, you know. And um, so I graduated high school, and uh, actually I didn't really graduate. I got expelled from high school hmm. um, a month into my senior year um, for uh, uh, trafficking marijuana. And uh, so I went to an alternative school. And because of where my grades were at, I only needed two months at this school uh, in order to get my, my diploma. So I did that and uh, really just was like not in school while everybody, all of my friends were still like waiting to graduate. I was done like six months before then. So I'm like, I think I'm just going to use this time to get real good and high. So I'd be like fully wasted by the time they're like out of school, you know, for the day. Right. Yeah. And um, education was important. And my because I was a chameleon, like I got along with everybody. So I had like my own, um, I was a little piece of me was tethered to everything that was going on in everybody's own life, right? And I would use that to like pull me in whatever direction like I thought was going to serve me the best. Hmm. And um, so all my buddies and all my friends that I would use with, like really use with, I would try to have a conversation with them like, so y'all going to college? You know, they weren't really hearing it. They didn't really, you know, college wasn't for them. They were just barely even getting through school as it is. But in other circles that I was tethered to, uh, the athletes and, uh, uh, you know, the, the kids that had money and, you know, the kids that were smart and, you know, how we have our own little sort of social uh, groups. College, they were going to college. So uh, about this time, um, I was uh, just turned 18. Um, I got a job at UPS, and so I decided this is my way to college. So it took me six years, full time, every semester, to get a two-year degree. <laughs> and um, I transferred to University of Louisville, um, in May of 2008, and by this time, um, you know, my flavor of choice was alcohol, marijuana daily, and um, Oxycontin, um, and I'd really kind of, I would go through phases, you know, for like a year, it'd be like meth would be like my drug of choice. I got to this place to where I could really function on a high level of opiates and feel good about, you know, being high and being able to function. And I could really smoke as much pot as I wanted to, and I could really drink as much as I wanted to. And uh, so, uh, again, I was tethered to somebody else who was at UofL. Um, it was a girl. And so I really just kind of followed her direction. Um, so I got, you know, this associates in arts or whatever it is, applied arts or something. I just realized associate of arts, AA, I got a degree and I got an AA degree. <laughs> and um, because I was tethered to her, I just kind of was moving sort of aimlessly in the direction she was going because she seemed like she knew what she was doing for herself. So I found myself in the College of Business. 
and I'm still working at UPS and um, um, I, fa- I failed and um, this was uh, um, Octo- like maybe October, November of 2008. I done moved on from her, and now I'm tethered to this other other girl. And uh, she was kind of tethered to me. I mean, that's what it you know felt like. And uh, uh, it was like I gotta get sober. I gotta do something. You know, I'm I'm like waking up to use so that I'm not sick. You know, mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. And I never knew anything about AA. I never knew anything about the 12 steps. Um, I didn't know anything about treatment or counseling or therapy. Really never did any of that, you know. Kind of dabbled with church a little bit, but, like, I didn't really know where to go to, like, actually really get help because, like, everybody in my family was just kind of do, you know, uh, that's what I was tethered to, right? And, uh So I went to treatment, and uh, I met my, one of my first sponsors in treatment. And I was about, I don't know, four or five days sober, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, <laughs> feeling feel good. great. Yeah, just, you know, full of shit and uh, just had a desire to, like, want to, like, just stop hurting myself, you know. Because uh, it got really bad. I was, like, really depressed and suicidal and um, just hating myself. And I would write suicide letters and throw them away, mm. you know. Uh, I would really uh, fantasize about suicide. And I would, like, stand in the mirror with, like, a knife to my neck, like, poked wow. in, in, into my neck. And, like, just to see what it would feel like. But, like, I wouldn't really want to go through with it because what if something really did happen, you know. And um, so I met my first sponsor, and he was going to school um, at Spalding um, to get a, um, a social work degree. And I said, you know, I just really want to help people. And he looked at me and he said, Hank. And he's about the only one that can call me Hank, him and maybe a couple other people. Hank, if you want to help people, you got to stay sober. Okay. I did find that, like, I was able to help, you know, I was able to help people with where I was. Like, I I couldn't, you know, transmit something I didn't have. But if someone needed help, um, I could go get them a cup of coffee, right? This is while I was in treatment. So there was some real minimal things I could do to get outside of myself now, you know, looking back. And I want to get back to school. My goal was, okay, I'm going to go to treatment for, you know, for 30, 40 days, and I'm going to get right back into school. And then people are like, that's not a really good idea. It's like, okay, well, I'll wait, and I'm going to get right back into school in the summer. Like, that's not really a good idea. So uh, I listened to people long enough to see myself that that's not maybe a really good idea. And I started to uh, um, work the steps. And uh, I started to realize I really like helping people. And... Um, The other thing, too, like, because I failed those classes and stuff before um, I went to treatment, um, I owed University of Louisville money, Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't let me come back. Here I am thinking I could just do what I want when I want, and I, you know, like, uh, 
I'm this great model student, right? And, you know, they're going to let me back. And um, so it took some time. I took time for myself to, to get right and, and to make those financial amends, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think, like, in recovery, it's so important, not just those direct face-to-face amends, but to really earnestly make those financial amends. Because if I get sober and I say, you know, I'm going to be a homeowner someday, Okay, what do I have to do to to make these financial amends to be able to get there? Or I want to, you know, I want to graduate from college someday, or I want to learn a trade someday, or I want to have my own car someday, or I want to just rent my own apartment, right? I mean, there's 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 things that we we have to, we must clean up if we want to live this life. Yep. And I think a lot of times that financial piece it gets uh, uh, minimized paying our creditors back yeah paying you know mom back you know paying those the people and the places the institutions that we owe money paying them back well it's like um well i owe them too much money it's not gonna matter anyways it took me every month for the first six years of my sobriety every month paying some creditor until finally right when i was the month that i celebrated six years i had the last one paid off wow very cool it takes some time. I'm still working on financial amends. That was one of the biggest wreckages in my past was yep. the credit card debt and other kind of things I ran yep. up. Yep. And um, so I paid UofL back the money, and um, I started to explore what social work would be. And uh, I just wanted to help people. And uh, so I took a couple classes and uh, – you know, just listen to other people. And along the way, uh, I was really no longer sort of just tethered, you know, like I had a choice in the whole matter. Now, I might row with some people, and we're on the same mission. We might be heading in the same direction. But, you know, if I need to fall back or if I need to go this way or if I need to get ahead of them, I can. I'm no longer really tethered, you know. That's liberating. Yeah. You know, that freedom from from bondage, you know, not just to myself, but the freedom from bondage to other people, you know. And I'm not saying that, like, it doesn't show up ever. Right. Um, so I went um, and I got my bachelor's degree from L and uh, Kent School of Social Work. And I just wanted a degree, you know, uh, in my family. Up, up to that point, no one had anything past a um, high school diploma. You know, so the fact that I got a damn two-year degree uh, while using, I was like uh, always, I was like the uh, the patriarch of the family. And I, I would use that like, uh, you know, I'm working and I'm in school and I got this two-year degree. I would use that for like, well, he's not that bad. Yep. You get know, that completely. I would do just enough. I would do just a little bit more than you would be doing just so that I could get away with whatever I wanted to get away with. Yep. Yeah, I used a lot of justification in yep. my – had a job for a long time. I got good grades. I have wife and two cars and two kids and a guy that has a problem. If you have a problem, you don't have what I have. More coffee? More coffee. It's good. 
I'm gonna grab a bottle of water while you're doing that. Or maybe a Yeah, we'll do in a lot of things to uh, point over and so say to, to justify and say that I'm okay, see, and here's why. Yeah. Uh, because I'm doing this. Or even the other side of, you know, I know in high school I used to kind of blow off about the fact that I was getting good grades and, and was still using daily. Yeah. And would like say that's why. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually that's that's helping me get good grades. It's kind of, you know it's really the step one of being able to see that this unmanageability isn't about circumstance. It's about my direct powerlessness to drugs and alcohol. Um, I think that when I get, you know, when I got sober, I think when most people get sober, they can look at them, their lives and see life's fucked up. But I'm not powerless, right? And really being able to say with that first step that because I'm powerless, right, admitting that, and I really say not just admitting it, also accepting it, right? that my life is unmanageable because I'm powerless. And if I look at my life today, at times it can certainly feel unmanageable. And when I look at it, what am I powerless in my life to? What am I trying to get power in my life right now where I don't have power that's causing this pain or causing this unmanageability? So I was in school, got the bachelor's degree, and... Um, it was really powerful for me to sit down there while I was graduating because um, I didn't graduate high school. Then when I got my two-year degree, I made a complete ass of myself. Hmm. I'm up there, you know, getting a walk across the stage, and I'm down there sitting with, you know, my peers. I have a, a cellophane full of pills. I got my water, and I'm just eating them. So by the time I get up to walk across states, I am, I'm wasted. My family has pictures of me standing up there on stage, flicking everybody off. I laugh. It's, that speaks to, uh, I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care about myself. I didn't care about my family. My grandfather was alive at the time. I didn't really care about how he see me. I didn't care about how he affected him. Immediately after I graduated, um, I, I went right outside the first trash can that I seen. I threw all my, my shit away, my hat and my gown. And um, I was just trying to get to the girl I was tethered to because she had more of what I was wanting. Two things that I was wanting. And... Um, and I remember the, uh, I haven't thought about this in a while, but I remember when I met my family, like right after, like out in the, like outside, everybody's getting pictures and stuff. My mom's like, where's your hat and gown? I was like, I threw it away. So we never got any pictures of you. Hmm. It's like, I was just ready. That didn't mean anything. You know, that didn't mean anything to me. So when I was sitting down on the Yum Center um, and I was getting ready to walk across the stage, I could look up and uh, I saw my father up there and I knew my mother was up there and I knew my sister was up there 
And I knew there were other people up there that were really, really proud of me. And uh, I felt really good that I was able to make choices that made other people happy for me. And um, at that time, I didn't know that I wanted to be a therapist. I didn't know anything other than I wanted to help people. And so, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I agreed to go on and pursue my master's degree. And I did that in a year. And during that time, it was really stressful. I mean, I'm doing like a, you know, most people will go into this graduate program like two years, sometimes three years. I'm doing it in a year. And uh, I went to a lot of AA meetings that year. Because it was like... And I met my wife in school. She's a social worker, too. And uh, there's a big test or assignment or research project. And I'm thinking, um, I need a meeting before I can work on this. Mm. I need to go to a meeting, you know, after I'm working on this. A lot of prayer, a lot of inventory around fear. And uh, with hard work um, uh, and grace. And support, I walked across that stage a year later to get a master's degree. Wow. And uh, I think that one was for me. Hmm. Yeah, I think that one was really just to show myself that, like, if I can stay sober, I'm the only thing that's going to get in my way now. And, uh, Yeah, I did that one for me. And the cool thing was in that, um, I snagged I snagged a wife out of the deal too. <laughs> so met her in school. Yeah. She's wonderful. She uh challenges me and she's loving and uh like when we went to protest on Friday night, I got a text when I just got down there and she said, Look, if you get arrested tonight for protesting, I can't come get you till Monday. <laughs> It's like, I love you so much. She's great. And uh, she's not, you know, one of us. But she gets it. Um, she gets it. Um, she makes space for me to come do things like this because she knows that it's important. That is great, yeah. And uh, even when it's taxing, she'll say some stuff and she'll challenge me, but she'll also hold space for me to figure out um, so I, uh, got my master's degree and I worked in, you know, treatment centers and Louisville addiction treatment and learned a lot and was working towards certifications and licenses and just getting really good at what I do. And, um, I worked at most of the treatment centers in Louisville and I've held every, uh, just about every position you could think of, uh, other than like a cook. I mean, I was an entry level you know, the cool thing is, when I got into graduate school, my field placement or practicum or my internship was at the same place that I got sober. Hmm. And I remember when I walked into that house, there was a sense of, I'm here 
for the house. Like, I'm not really here to get the hours, even though I'm, that's really why I'm here. And I remember the first time that I went back as a, as a student or as a staff, the first thing I did was I walked up them steps to that first room on the right, to the bed all the way by the wall. Hmm. And it took me back. Uh, I think I said my first real authentic prayer, kneeled by that bed that I said maybe in my whole life. And I remember arrogance, uh, maybe uh, 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 naive, naive. But I remember uh, once I got acclimated to the system there and I was like in there doing my thing and I always made sure who was in that bed because they were going to stay sober. Oh, yeah. That's a good bed you're in. (laughs) Let me tell you. Yeah. And uh, I remember when the first guy that left AMA, it it crushed me because, you know, that that, that was the bed that, you know, like that played a role. Yeah. Lost the streak. Man, you broke the streak. Yeah. And um, I've done everything from like a basic entry level, you know, chemical dependency tag to a counselor, a clinical director at a place. The last, the last uh, position I had, I was executive director. Mm-hmm. And uh, having that, having the clout was really cool, and the the like perceived power. I, I kind of like I could feed off that, but. Um, it was getting me away from really helping people the way I wanted to. And some organizations are challenging to work with. Yeah. And so I made the decision to uh, resign and to uh, work for myself, Lucas Counseling and Consulting LLC, where I do a lot of different things. Uh, most of what I do is therapy, um, not just with addiction. Um, I mean, I wrote treatment programs for uh, some treatment centers in Louisville. Um, I wrote the book Maximize. Uh, I've done uh, family, you know, I do family counseling, couples counseling, uh, individual counseling, therapy, um, workshops, trainings. Um, I like working for myself. I can do what I want. I can provide the, the quality of service that I wouldn't be able to um, if someone's, you know, um, I can be as creative as I want. I can work as as much as I want. I can make as much money as I want. I can uh, really, uh, in the most ethical way, I can, I can, I can show up how I think it's going to be best for the clients that I work with, the yeah. people that I work with. It's, uh, Again, everything that I experienced and throughout my life has led me, led me to that. What did you hear? And uh, so that's really the, the journey into, into the profession. How long have you been doing it on your own? August of 2018. And I've, I've you know. Once I got my master's, I'd been doing like, you know, some side counseling. I had a little office and uh-huh. wasn't doing much, maybe three or four hours a week. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I specialize uh, primarily in trauma and addiction. I work with people on a variety of issues from anxiety and depression to codependency, eating disorders. It's uh, There's a lot of pain around, and there's a lot of the, the world, a lot of people in the world are struggling. Yeah. They frankly don't know where to go. Yeah. Like you said about early on about not being aware of yeah AA and yeah. these avenues that are actually out there where you can uh, find help yeah uh, flip side of that is there's some dynamic in us that doesn't want you know yeah it's, it's tough to ask for help and it's and it's even tougher to actually go get it yeah some people want to learn how to moderate and I work with them on that and then they find that, hey, I can really moderate. And some try to moderate, and they, they can't, you know. Um, I've never been one to moderate. Yeah, me neither. Um, In anything. I think my delivery in AA is different than my delivery sitting in my therapy chair. Um, it really, you know, um, school taught me, school and AA, um, Recovery taught me to just meet people where they're at. Yeah, it's exactly the phrase that was in my head when you yeah. said it. And just because you know someone is not fully committed to abstaining, doesn't mean that they can't or won't at some point, right? I mean, we we've all got to make the choice to get us to where we're going. Yep. You know. And I, um, you, know, I had to try it and fail. Yeah. And try again with a little different twist and yeah. fail. And until I finally got myself convinced yeah. that, uh, hey, that ain't working. But I'll beat my head against the wall until, until I realized that it wasn't. I t- tell my, you know, my story, I came into uh, AA with a true third tradition type of thing where I really wanted to stop. Yeah. I'd court ordered some AA earlier in life. So yeah. Um, I really, it, it had left me completely to some extent that thought of that AA a long time ago. Because, I mean, I was just completely checking a box to get the court off my ass. Um, certainly didn't think I had any problem, and I certainly couldn't relate with anybody around. Well, when I came in, you know, there's been four years between that and my current sobriety date of trying to figure out some way to, to moderate and to still play around the edges and even to, like, continue to attend AA, but and what I said, my, my, my period of pretending to be sober, uh, of uh, still going to meetings. Mm-hmm. And my mayor, I got you, you know, I don't know that I really got you convinced, but in my head I got you convinced yeah. that I'm sober. Uh, but but I, I, and I would sneak around, you yeah. know. And, of course, you know, it didn't take long to realize that when I'm sneaking, you know, I yeah. start going that same thing about, like, uh, in, in a soul level kind of thing, going, this is not working. Yeah. This isn't this this pretending, you know, so then I go, Well fuck it, I should just go ahead and go full tilt then, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Uh it sneaks up on me. But that that meeting people where they're at and uh, you know, that's kinda I don't know, it hit me like that that little life skill of the chameleon in a sense can allow me to be with you right now where you need me to be and not you know, that kinda like takes some of the judgment, some of the some of the uh Thing that would otherwise probably run you off yeah yeah uh, as me trying to help you i would actually push you away yeah 
if I couldn't like sit down and at some level <coughs> use that 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 trait to to uh, to truly be with you to yeah. be part of whatever's going on here. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I guess we still use it all the time at some level. And uh, it's all about being in front of it, right? It's all about being conscious and being aware of it. Yeah. I mean, it's like about me today is if you meet me, no matter where I'm at, you're pretty much going to see the same dude. You're going to recognize me here and there, and 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 I'm going to look, I'm going to look consistent. Yeah, Uh, that was not always. That was the difference between my old chameleon. Yeah, and uh, and and being able to be a part of whatever's going on. You know, that's everything about like being a. I say this little thing about like when I come into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I identify as alcoholic. Yeah. If I was going to go, I'm fully qualified to walk in an NA meeting and, and, and qualify as an addict. Yeah. I'm fully qualified. And I won't do no if ands. I will come in and be whatever, whatever I, you know, I'll be one of you guys. Yeah. Because that's really what I am. Yeah. Just one of you guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, I say this little joke about, you know, if I'm going to go, if the, if the Chicago Cubs allow me to come sit on the bench for a game, I would wear a Cubs uniform. I'm not going to walk in there in a Phillies uniform. Yeah, so when I go to sit down in your group, uh, I'm going I'm to try to do my best to be one of you guys, not be the terminally unique dude that needs to be different than everybody yeah. else. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I think I pretty much covered everything, covered a lot. Yeah, you did. How about uh, the re- writing this book? What, what led you to? It took me, once I decided, it took me less time to put the book out than it did to, to write it. I mean, I I spent more time not writing that book than it really took me. <laughs> and the pain and turmoil of it being back there nagging, like you got this thing that you worked on in 2016, it's just sitting there like, you know, this is all shame that's keeping you from moving forward. What are you scared of? And um, very big risk and a lot of vulnerability to put this out there. I'm at the point now where eh, it is what it is. But early on, like, you know, because it's only it'll be out a year, a couple months. It's maybe been out about 10 months. And um, I would think about the, the end product and just, like, I could just feel, like, my face getting red and my heart beating and sweating. Like, oh, my gosh, they're going to see me and they're just – everyone's going to analyze me. And, and everybody already is all the time anyways. But to put myself out there open for criticism, it's like, no, I can't do that. So that was a huge growth for me. Mm-hmm huge growth to be able to step through that and, and, and to do it and uh and because of that i've also been able to experience the abundance of love that i wouldn't have got to experience if i listened to the shame and the fear and to not move forward with it mm-hmm. to stretch and yeah. jump outside the comfort yeah. zone and and um yeah, I was I was bored. I was working at a place, one of the local hospitals, and it's like bored one day and four years ago and was like, I wanna write a book. 
I got all these ideas and I'm just going to start jotting them down. This is what I want it to look like. And so I started and then I had a friend who, um, Blake Cohen, he lives in, uh, uh, Palm beach, wonderful guy. Um, he wrote a book about a year ago, last this month in May, it's called "I Love You More," and there's it's three story, three short stories about codependency. Wonderful book, just a very another short book. I love you more, and so again, it's like I checked in with him. You know, it's like I stayed tethered to him. You know, long enough, right? It's kind of like when you're out in the water, you're in a boat. And you see your friend's got a boat, and it's like, we want to hang out for a little bit, so I'm going to I'm gonna tie my little rope around your boat so we can stay hooked up. But then when it's time to go, I'm just going to unhook my rope, and then I'm going to go do my thing. That's how I can stay tethered t- to people now. There's like, there's no uh, betrayal. There's no, like, manipulation. There's no, um, you know, sucking the energy and the life out of, out of people, right? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I tied my boat to his boat, and uh, he hooked me up with some people that he was working with, and uh, went through that process and uh, came up with, uh, you know, the the final product. So um, I've uh, writing a book. It's like it's just something that I wanted to do. You know, I can do that. You know. I can have goals for myself and I, I can do it like like this table you know you've been sitting on it for a long time and then you, you finally put in the work and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful table right so I think recovery and staying sober gives us that opportunity to do things that we normally wouldn't do but things that like we dream about mm-hmm. you know things that we're passionate about things that we're curious about and saying, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to give it a shot. And if it flops, then at least I tried. Yep. Um, I talk about in the book, you know, the biggest risk ever, the, the biggest risk ever is the one that was never taken. Yeah. And we, there's risk to everything that we do, but we sell ourselves short. I can sell myself short by not taking, by not taking the risk on anything because it won't work out or whatever the story is that I'm telling myself. Just imagine, you know, if all the great people never took a risk, just imagine if Elon Musk didn't take the risk. Yep. Right. We wouldn't have people in space right now. Right. From, from the U S right. Risk is venture. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. All of it. You know, risk is, is huge. And it does. It stops so many people as you talk and, you know, get this opportunity. And you probably, you know, talk to way more people than I do. But, you know, that seems to be the uh, the anchor point that keeps people stuck is this these fears about it failing or I can't do it for one reason or another. or I can't let go of the security I have over here in mm-hmm. order to reach over to this. Uh, yeah, I, I hear it day in and day out of the I can'ts because of things and i and i I don't believe that well when people say i can't what they really say is i won't Won't. yeah you know yeah yeah because i you know my stuff is my story goes right along that you know most of these things are things i didn't 
wasn't really me doing the stretch. It was, you know, I had this job of uh, 28 years that I frankly didn't think that I could live without. I couldn't live without the insurance. I couldn't live without the pay. I certainly couldn't survive on any less pay. And, uh, and I would tell myself that time and time again. And then one day it got ripped off from underneath of me. And, uh, and I was forced to, to find something else to do. And, and the universe gave me a little cushion and a little soft landing spot so it wasn't quite as harsh. And, you know, and, and now I'm getting closer to doing the things that actually are inside my, uh, if you have a hard stop to let me know, uh, that are inside my wants and the things like sitting out here making, you know, I would have told you I couldn't make a living sitting out here in this wood shop making things. It could be a hobby. And I'm getting to uh, realize that, you know, putting this podcast out here was huge, yeah, tons of yeah. fear, pushing that out there and worrying about all the criticism and rejection and would anybody listen and how much fuck would I hear about, you know, blah, 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 plus the vulnerability of putting my voice out here and actually yeah. letting you hear me yeah. uh, was was uh, frightening. Yeah. Uh, but there was, a, there was a lead, there was a nudge that overshadowed that. Plus, uh, I had great people around me that encouraged me. And that's probably the bigger thing in my life is having these people around me that encouraged yes. me to be able to tell me that, yeah, you can do that, dude. And what's the harm? You know, yeah. worst thing it does is it flops. Big yeah. deal. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, shove it out there and see if it floats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're interesting. People are interesting. Yeah, risk is important. I hear that. I got a couple other ideas for some uh, other books. I want mm -hmm. to. Um, I want to write my story, mm. like a full, kind of memoir. That's in my back closet too. Yeah, and then I want to do a series of children's books. Oh, cool! On a, uh, I think that's the father, the new, the new father in me. Um wanting to educate um, and inspire kids uh, through children's books around diversity and acceptance and inclusion and equality. Uh, yeah, because I'll say this too. It's, it's a really good thing that I got picked up and drug out of the mud and, uh, for lack of a better term, fixed. Uh, you know, the real change in the world happens by changing kids. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and and bending that reality so that you don't go through this thing quite as harshly as seemed that I had to. Yeah. Yeah, the way that I parent my daughter is so much different than the way that I was parented, even at two and a half, almost three years old, you know. Yeah. Being able to impact it kids and in the younger generation like that you know um, to me i think that's where the world really changes yeah uh, as much as i want to shake my old teachings they still like sit there you know and i'm a long way from that old dude but it's tough to completely shake that stuff off uh i grew up in a, in a yeah. my parents are not this but i had peripheral family that were racist and i picked up on that but i don't know there's i talk about that negative bias you know yeah. I'll pick up the negative really quickly uh, while I'm leaving the positive behind. Yeah. Right? An ounce of negative outweighs a pound of positive. 
and I think of that to some level is that I, I, I listen to those stories for some reason and and not unlike Pavlov's dogs I got trained that even yeah. though there was something in me told me it was wrong yeah and if you looked at me as I operated for the most part you wouldn't see that I was that yeah you know I wasn't overtly anything but yeah. those seeds were planted that caused me to have some 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 ideas that I'm frankly not proud of today yeah and and like I said, I can be aware of them, uh, but I don't know exactly what to do. You know, with them, there's still that little bit of uh, darkness lays back there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just keep on trying to shine the light on it. Yeah, that's all. That's all we can do. I don't know if that will ever fully go away. Yeah. Um. And I don't know if I'd ever want it to fully go away, you know, because uh, without the darkness, there is no light. Yeah, right. You know. Yeah, there's a piece um, of me that thinks it's, you know, that, you know, I'll get into that shame aspect still. Yeah. You know, or I'll think it's something wrong with me. Yeah. That I need to fix that and yeah. become clean of it before I can be okay. And, and I do rationalize it. I see how silly, you know, that those voices that yeah. talk to me that tell me what is and what yeah. I am and what I should be. And Self-awareness is healing in itself. Just being self-aware. Yeah. Consciousness. Well, I'm about out of time. Cool. Well, I have appreciated any, our time uh, here together. Any so, other questions or any, anything that... I don't really have any. You know, I come into this thing pretty wide open. Uh, I did fail to ask you you know most time i do ask people if they have a hard stop because i want to definitely respect other people's time that's yeah. something i didn't used to do and i try to to to, to do that today uh, and i trust that what gets said here is supposed to is what was supposed to be said here yeah and uh i do appreciate you and i do uh, thank you for coming here uh i do i, I uh I'm very fortunate in the people that I have in my life today. And um, the more I point myself in the direction that my compass needle seems to want to go truly, the more I run into people that, yeah. that align with that. Yeah. You know, uh, it's uh, that old thing, keep on doing what you're doing, keep on getting what you're getting. Yeah. Works both directions. Uh, and I keep on doing this thing, and I keep on meeting fantastic people. Yeah. And you're one of them. Thank you. Uh, you've touched my life uh, in you know these unknown ways of how we do that, you know, and uh, watching, uh, specifically watching you working that weekend and uh, the light you shine through that impressed me a bunch. And, and when I see somebody like that, uh, I think it's, you know, I feel a need to let that person know today. And I did then that uh that you touched me that weekend and and always when that happens too i'm like i want to know that dude a little better yeah and if nothing else out of this podcast almost in a purely no i won't say it's selfish in some kind of weird way anybody that comes in here the one thing that i get is i get to know somebody better and uh there's some real fundamental uh gold uh just that lies within getting to know somebody better yeah yeah well thank you for for having me and thank you for your commitment to the your recovery and to the to the podcast right because it, it goes 
it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, you know, my my experience here with you this morning was I was able to touch some vulnerability and and have some awareness of stuff that I wouldn't have experienced if I didn't come here this morning. But I wasn't expecting on the ride over here. Yeah. Um, it was it was it was great for me. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I will do this because I think we should. Maximize is out. You can get it on Amazon. Is that where it's available yeah. right now? Uh, Henry J. Lucas. Sometimes you need to make sure you get the names of the authors right. I know that from my sponsor uh, writing a book. If you don't add in that, yeah. you might not find it. And if you have any questions about finding it, please contact me because uh, I can help you do that, and I'm plenty willing to do that. Uh, and what's the new set? Because I have the old book, the, the new subtitle. Yeah. Can I give a shout-out to all my social media and stuff, too? You can give all, all that, right. brother. Uh, website. You can find the book on my website, lucascounseling.org. Um, if you ever want to reach out, feel free, Henry, at lucascounseling.org, 502-694-2171. You can call or text. Um, my Instagram handle is um, Lucas at lucascounseling. Um, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Lucas Counseling and Consulting LLC. Uh, the book's also available uh, on Amazon. Um, uh, the book's called Maximize Seven Mind Shifts to Maximize Key Areas of Your Life. Um, Henry Lucas, thanks for having me here today. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah. Uh, I always close this thing up with two statements and everything I know is given to me, right? Someone, someone gifted me with the knowledge I didn't, I don't have any of this of, of myself necessarily. Uh, one of them is comes on an email and uh, the other one is a dear friend of mine uh, handed me and I still use it today and it just come natural. Now sometimes it ends up being attributed to me and it's not mine. Uh, I say, <clears throat> and I believe it. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And thank you all for allowing Henry and I to participate in our recoveries today. Uh, It means a lot to me. And thank you all for listening. Peace out.
See you cry. 